I trust that this morning that's your testimony, that you are, as they said, abiding under his wings, allowing, allowing him, first of all, to have the privilege of caring for you, and secondly, being willing to find yourself under his wings and not trying it on your own. This morning we're going to be, once again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, just three verses. Last week I told you I brought kind of an uncomfortable message, and the message has to do with me, the pastor. And, and, and so it, it showed you all the things the pastor is supposed to be, so I felt very vulnerable last week as I brought that message. That message, interestingly enough, is followed up by these three verses that though the immediate context is to those in the ministry, the application is for all. So if you are within the sound of what I'm saying right now, there is an application for you in these verses. Let me read them for you in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I believe that the crux of the matter in these verses is you are carrying a multitude of pressures and worries. If you're human, you're worrying. There's something that's got you that's carrying, that's weighing down on you, something. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a friend that's, that's, that's hurting or, or going through a hard time. Maybe it's somebody, a loved one that's sick. Maybe it's you waiting for a phone call back from the doctor. Maybe it's a financial pressure you're in. Maybe there's a school assignment that is just bigger than you and you're worried about it. Whatever it is, we all have worries. And he's been talking to preachers in particular to ministers of the gospel, those that work in churches, those that are missionaries, those that carry on what we'd call the work of the Lord. And what I believe he's suggesting is if you get buried by those anxieties and worries, you're not going to be very effective in the ministry. If you are weighed down and so full of care yourself, over some of your own pressures, how can you minister and care for others? So let's just for a moment to set the table here, so to speak. If, uh, if you're here this morning, God wants you to be a minister. And the word minister means a servant, someone who serves. Someone who helps meet the needs of others. That's, that's, that's his call for all of us, we're to meet the needs of others. And what I believe he's saying is if you are so weighed down with cares and worries, you're not going to be much help to anybody else. If you're consumed with your own cares, then how can you help somebody else? And that's really the crux of the matter today. I'm going to pray and ask God to give us his insights from this. As I titled the message, God's Plan for Anxious Worries. Dear Lord, thank you for this time, and thank you, Lord, for giving us this help. Lord, this place that we can turn to in the Scriptures to find help when we worry. 
I wish we weren't a worrying folk, but we tend to worry. We tend to rub our hands together and get all worried, and we tend to jump ahead of you and make decisions that are rash and sometimes get us into troubles. So this morning, would you give us insights on how we can be more effective helping people? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's break it down a little bit. Likewise, ye younger, submit. Submit. Likewise means a look back, what we talked about before. So he says, as I challenged the elders or the preachers to feed the flock of God, I now turn my challenge to you who are younger to learn to submit. The word submit here means to place yourself underneath someone else. <laughs> to submit is the same Greek word as to be subject to. So to put yourself underneath, to be subject to. So you younger, he says, place yourselves under the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. So if you're not younger, you say, I'm off the hook. I don't have to subject myself because I'm not younger. I'm now older. Well, then he comes back with this, this second phrase. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now, at first glance, this seems kind of challenging. If, if we all subject ourselves to everybody else, who's going to be in charge? If we all put ourselves underneath everybody else, that's going to be a real problem. We have to have somebody in leadership, right? Somebody's got to pull the shots, call the shots. Somebody's got to tell us what to do, right? Well, what's he really saying here? Well, first of all, the intended audience, those who are younger. Youth is incredible. Youth is so full of energy. Our young grandson now, who is almost ready to walk, almost, has nonstop energy, nonstop, runs 100 miles an hour all day long, and then is up about every hour at night. Nonstop energy. And he wakes up, and you would think, if I did that, I'd have bloodshot eyes, I'd look 112 years old, I'd be walking, walking. He gets up, pong, like that, and ready for another day. It's day after day after day. I say, how can they do that? Where does this energy come from? It's incredible, the energy level kids have. Well, young people have energy, too. They have new ideas. Ideas where we older folks says, we never did it that way before. And they say, that's right, that's your problem. You never did it that way before. Frustration. Young people tend to get frustrated. They get frustrated over seeing things that we older folks have done year after year after year and have gotten no results and are expecting that if we keep doing the same things year after year after year, sometime in the future we'll get results. They can't put up with that. The younger generation cannot put up with that. And they also have a hunger to prove themselves. The younger youth have a desire to say, here's who I am. You need to see me. So it's a commandment here to youth, you who are younger. Submit yourselves unto the elder. Well, in Leviticus, the Old Testament law, it says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, before the white head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God, I am the Lord. So in the law of Moses, it said, you need to honor the aged. You need to respect them and honor them. And then he comes back around and says, All of you need to submit. 
of or one of us. We all come with our own ideas. That's why church time is not idea time. I don't stand up here and start talking for five minutes and say, okay, who wants to take off next? Okay, now who wants to talk? Who wants to talk? We'd get nothing done. Um, we all have our own ideas. Um, we all have a streak of independence. We all have a general dislike for change, and some worse than others. And we have a general attitude of superiority. That's our flesh. Now, by God's grace, some of you walk through that, but we generally speaking have a, have a, have a superior attitude. It says to be subject one to another. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Paul writes, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and they have, listen to this, they've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They're addicts. They're addicts. But to what are they addicted? They're addicted to serving others that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. What he's saying is place yourselves under the leadership of these ministry servants, these who are ministering to others, and they're addicted to it. Their whole life is revolved around helping others. Paul said, get under them. Get under them and start serving along with them. We told you for years, back in Illinois, my wife and I directed a, an older ministry called the Jelly Sixties. <laughs> Every week we would meet and, and most times we'd have a meal and oftentimes my wife would put the, de decorate all the tables out there so nicely and then we would put food on the table, have a share a nice meal together. It was a, it was a wonderful time. One, one time we had a, a lady show up who brought her mother and the lady wasn't old enough to be part of the Jelly Sixties, she just hang around, just hung around. So after a couple of weeks she decided basically that, that she would just take over. So she brought her own table coverings and her own decorations and said, said, you know what, I want to do it today. Well, that's not how it works. You don't just show up after we've done something for 30 years and we've been in charge. You don't just show up and take over. She had a little hard time doing this, submitting herself. Why? Because she had ideas. And quite frankly, they were all good ideas. But we had somebody who was addicted to the ministry who was already leading that ministry in my life. And her responsibility was not to come and just take over. Her responsibility was to come and say, how can I be a help to you? I, uh, I had the choir back in Illinois for many, 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 many years. And uh, I confess that I don't know everything about music. I confess that. But early on, early on, I would occasionally have somebody who either knew better or thought they knew better, and they would want to stop my choir practice and give their insights. And there were times for that, and there were other times not for that. And I come to find out a lot of it had to do with their attitude and how they shared their philosophy, their thought. Because we are to, he says, addict ourselves, or we are to submit ourselves to those who are addicted to serving others. In other words, as somebody in the church family is really working hard to minister, how about we just choose, how can I help you? That's what he's saying. 
Next is maintain a submissive spirit to all, and that's in Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another. I have not done it since. I honestly don't think I have anyway. And if I have here, I've just forgotten. But I had been in the ministry for maybe two or three years, something like that, back in Illinois. This has been 40 years ago. And uh, I, I had the privilege of, of teaching the, the large Sunday school class that met in the auditorium. And it become like become like this, only it was, it was, it was bigger. And uh, so I came to the front, and uh, we w- I, I stood right down there, and the floor had a little podium there I taught from. And, and we were really spread out. And so I made this very foolish declaration. I said, what I need you to do is, is all come down to the front. Just all come down the front. Do you know they looked at me? They didn't move a muscle. They didn't budge. They just looked at me. Now, I'm a little frustrated right now. Didn't they hear me? Oh, no, listen, you need to, you need to come on down to the front now. Come on down. I'm smiling. They didn't move. Not one person moved. Come to find out, they had sat in that pew for the last 342 years. And they weren't about to move from that pew because that was their pew. And who am I to tell them to move from their pew, you see? If I've asked you to move, I don't think, I don't remember it. So I probably won't be doing that too often in here. When somebody who is serving the Lord asks you to do something, What's your first response? By the way, Karen, it's so good to see you again. Praise God. It's the first time I've noticed you here. Praise God that you're back. Hallelujah. We prayed for you. Glad you're here. Humble yourselves, secondly. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 5, the end of it, it says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Be clothed with humility. What, what, the clothing you're supposed to wear, he says, is humbleness, being humble. As a loyal police officer is said to bleed blue, a child of God should have their nature, that of humility. We should just be humble. None of this, I know better than you. Get behind me. Just be humble. Here we learn that God becomes an enemy to those who are proud. I don't want God as my enemy. I need God. And we also learn that God showers the humble with His grace. As we humble ourselves, as we put ourselves underneath, God showers His grace upon us. And then in the next verse, verse number 6, he continues this thought, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humility should be routinely routinely inspected. Humility should be inspected all the time. Am I being humble? I have a streak of pride in me. That statement that I just made with this person, did that come across arrogant? Did did I sound like I was somehow lording myself over them in what I said? Was I willing to do the menial task, or did I think, I'm too good for that? Pride grows by default. We don't have to teach pride. It's automatic. 
we need to frequently perform self-examinations before the Lord, making sure that we are not getting too full of ourselves. <laughs> One year, our furnace quit working in the middle of winter, and it was very cold in our home. So as soon as I figured it out that it was not working, and I tried my best to fix it, and after kicking it four times, it still wouldn't work, I called the repairman. He came over, he's downstairs, banging on things himself, and eventually he said, I think I found the problem. And he brought to me this really dirty, dirty, dirty thing that was about this wide, about that tall. And it was real thin. And it was clogged. My filter was clogged. He said, when was the last time you changed this thing? Oh, I don't know. It's been couple years probably he said what happened was this filter got clogged therefore it set off two or three different switches in there that basically made it so your furnace could not work safety all because I didn't inspect the filter God loves exalting his children he loves holding them up he loves elevating them and giving them positions of responsibility. And humility allows him to do so. Doesn't that sound backwards? Humility allows God to elevate. But pride causes God to debase. There are some biblical lessons on humility. Let me give them to you real quick. Like In Philippians 2.3 it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, what kind of image comes into your mind with a lowliness of mind? Let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, by elevating the other person, we avoid envy and strife. You know, the main reason we get in quarrels, the main reason we have tension among people is because we somehow think that we're either at least as good as or better than them. Who are they? Who are they to talk to us like that? And so where is this tension? But if we humble ourselves and lift them up, there's no room for tension. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, notice, humbleness of mind. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also ye do. Humility sets God's chosen ones apart. If you want to be different in the world, then be humble. That's going to be different. Because when you go into the world and you shop at wherever, you're going to see all sorts of representations of pride. Just try stepping in line ahead of them and see what happens. <laughs> Humility sets God's chosen ones apart. In James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Do you know what attracts God's grace and brings it on? Do you need some God's grace, some of his goodness today? Do you know how to get more of it? Here it is. Be humble. Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself, I'm promoting myself, 
the Bible says, shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In other words, from God's perspective, the path of promotion is populated by those who are humble. Matthew 18, 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is it that shows God true greatness? Here it is. Humility. Matthew 20, verse 26, It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So true greatness becomes the servant of all. Philippians 2, 5 and following, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ is our example of servanthood and humility. Lastly, in verse number 7, perhaps, perhaps the most familiar passage here is verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now before this particular study, I had not tied this thought in with the rest. But I believe it very much is tied to Submitting and humbling. Casting. There's your next participle. <laughs> casting. All your care upon him. The word casting is what you do when you go fishing. Okay, can you cast it out? That's interesting because that's, that's kind of close to the description here. The word casting literally means to fling or to quickly toss. Imagine a Frisbee. You've got a Frisbee, and you've got to throw that Frisbee. How do you do it? Do you do it like this? How do you do it? No. You fling it out there. Fling it. You get rid of it. You get rid of it. Now, let's pretend that this paper is a Frisbee. You take this Frisbee, and you fling it. Well, but I held on to it, didn't I? Fling it! I'm holding on to it. I'm supposed to cast all my cares on him. Fling them to him, not hang on to them. To give him those cares. The idea is getting rid of it quickly. When, when, a, when a bee or a wasp falls on the hand of my lovely wife, there is a picture of flinging. Some of you might wreck the same way. A bee, ah! Get rid of that bee! Hurry. What if we did that with our cares? What if the worries that we're all weighed down with, instead of allowing them to, oh man, I feel so bummed out today. What if we, as soon as we recognized the worry, we gave it to God? 
it's also interesting that this word casting in the, in the original language is in a tense, a verb tense, which means it's a once for all. It's once for all. You take that frisbee, you throw it, you don't become the dog and run out and catch it in your mouth and bring it back and throw it again. No, once you have done it, it should be done. He says, casting. It's a one-time deal, he says. One time, one and done. You get rid of the get rid of the care. Get rid of the care. Just get rid of the care. Give it to God. Casting all your care. The idea here is taking all those distractions, all the anxiety that hits us, all the affairs of life, those things that weigh us down, that which tends to consume our thinking and keeps us, quite frankly, from concerning ourselves about the needs of others. Now, why? He says, casting all your care upon him. He gives us the why. Why? For he careth for you. It means he's interested in. He's concerning himself with you. In other words, it really matters to him. When you're going through concerns, pressures, it really matters to the Lord that you're hurting. It matters to him, he says. Casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he really cares for you. That's what the verse means. Give to Christ all that distracts you or weighs you down because he is never distracted from you. That's what it means. Nothing ever distracts him from you. There's some examples in Scripture of casting one's cares. For instance, in the Old Testament, a lady named Hannah. Hannah was married to Elkanah. That sounds pretty normal until you understand that Hannah or Elkanah had two wives. Elkanah also had Penina. So Hannah and Penina were, can we call them co-wives? I don't know what else to call them. So Elkanah had these two wives. Now one of the wives, Penina, was very fertile. She had lots of children. Hannah was barren. She couldn't have children. Well now in the culture of the day, if you were a Jewish young lady, and you were married and didn't have children, you were despised. You were despised by your family. You were despised as you go into town. They looked down on you, and they thought there was something spiritually wrong with you if you could not have children. Hannah could not have children. And Penina rubbed it in like a sore wound. One day, we see Hannah in the temple, and she's praying. And it's 1 Samuel 1.10, and she... Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, saying, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, a boy, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Then Eli the priest answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman, Hannah, went her way and did eat. And her countenance, her face, was no longer sad. What did she do with her cares? She is consumed with this hurt. She went to the temple and she prayed and she left it there. 
In 1 Samuel 30, in verse 3, we see David. And David has been out with his mighty men. And he's been on these, uh, these, these, these skirmishes, killing the enemy. And he comes back one day to his village, and they're living in a town called Ziklag. And when he comes back, he comes over the hill, and they see a plume of smoke where their village should be. And as they get over the hill, they realize their village is all burning. So they get there as fast as they can, and they realize nobody's there. Their families are all gone, their wives, their children, nothing is there. Their possessions have all been stolen, and their homes are all burning. The Bible says the men get angry at David. Somehow they're blaming David for this. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 3, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice, and they wept, they cried, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people, his men, spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. What did David do? In the face of his men that he'd been leading, now they are blaming him for the loss of their families. What did David do? He's overwhelmed. They want to stone him. They want to kill him. Here's what David did. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In spite of this incredible pressure, he went to God and he cast his cares to the Lord. Same man, David, in Psalm 55, verse 21, writes a psalm. He says, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. So this psalm, what is, it's like a song sung to the Lord. The this, this song that he wrote is about a man, about a specific man whose words were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So you kind of get the picture. The man he's talking about is somebody who talked really sweet, but he wanted to kill in verse 22, he says, David says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Well, I did a little search to find out who is this guy we're talking about. Who is this man that speaks like butter? Words just flow. He's very flattering. But in his heart is hatred with a desire to kill. Earlier on, David had a counselor, his main counselor. He would go to him, and this man was exceptionally wise. And he simply knew the kind of military warfare he needed to encourage David with so David would win. man's name was Ahithophel. Hard name to say. Ahithophel. But a very trusted counselor. When the rebellion came and David's son Absalom revolted, Ahithophel changed and went with the enemy, Absalom. Now the man that David trusted in completely is now his enemy. Well, what's he do? What's he do with somebody that he had trusted with his own life becomes his enemy? David said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast all my 
burden, my cares upon the Lord. One more in Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, David writes. What time I am afraid. Sometimes we think of a guy like David never gets afraid. Apparently David did get afraid. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Notice what David did when he feared. He put his trust in God. So lastly, two things, instructions for one's cares. What do you do? What do you do when you're full of care, full of worry? What do you do when you're so weighed down in life that it's just, you can't even go on? What do you do? Philippians 4, 6, number one, be careful. The word careful here is an old English word means be worried, full of cares. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, you need to pray. You need to pray with thanksgiving. God, I'm bringing my need to you. You know i got a bill due next week. I don't have the money for that bill. And I'm, I'm really getting nervous about this bill. I don't see how I'm going to meet this need. But I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're going to do. So the bill comes and the bill goes and I miss the due date. I don't have money to pay it. What do I do? But I prayed. He didn't answer. Or did he? Did he? Because what was God trying to do by getting your attention in the first place? Is that perhaps he wanted to expose where your trust is? You were trusting in money? Trusting in that bill? Or were you trusting in God to be God? You know, it's an amazing thing, but we get this idea that we should somehow control God. We decide what God should do. God, you should pay that bill on time. You should do this. God, you should do this. When did, when did God become this big? How about we allow God to be God? And we thank Him. That's what we're talking about here. What do you do with your cares, and your worries, your frustrations? You pray with thanksgiving. Number two. In Psalm 27, verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. First of all, for your cares, pray with thanksgiving. Secondly, wait, expecting God's goodness. We don't wait very well. Have you noticed that? We're not good waiters. If there's a long line at a restaurant, what do you do? Say it. We don't wait well. We also don't wait well for God. We tend to take over and take matters in our own hands instead of waiting for God. So here's what he's saying in our message today. Submit yourself, first of all. Submit yourself. Along with that, humble yourself. And then free yourself of all those burdens. Free yourself so you can help bear the needs of others. 
after Jesus spent time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying the night before he was crucified, he was submitting himself to the will of his Father. He said in the Garden, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus submitted himself to the will of his Father. Along with that, he humbled himself before God. He made himself of no reputation. And then what did he do? He, the next day, he proceeded to go to Calvary to bear the sins of the burden of every man. He took upon himself all of our cares. All of our cares. So we see in this brief three-verse passage what you and I are to do with our worries. We're to be servants. We're to be ministers, ministering to the needs of others, serving, looking for opportunities to help. But if we're so focused on our own needs, how can we help them? So, submit, humble, and cast. Cast those worries to the Lord. I'm so grateful this morning that I can present to you truth because it comes from God's Word. I didn't make this up. God did. So as I look around this morning, I see, I see care after care after care, pressure after pressure that you're carrying. Let's give them to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Lord, this morning we are a congregation full of cares. There are so many things going on with our folks, either health issues or, or financial issues. So many concerns, Lord. But I'm so grateful, Lord, that you've got broad shoulders and that you can take all of these cares. So, Lord, I pray this morning you might help us to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to cast all of our cares upon you, knowing full well that you care for us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Right before I conclude, I've got to ask a question. When you came in this morning, did you come knowing for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven? You see, that's the greatest care or concern or worry that man carries. And that's what happens after he dies. Well, i got great news for you. Many years ago, Jesus died on the cross to take care of that very worry. <laughs> he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. And from us, instead of saying that we had to somehow earn it, realizing we never could, he said, I'm going to demand that you confess that you're a sinner. And then I'm going to say you must put your faith and trust in me trusting me to forgive you and to save you. In other words, believe on him. Have faith in him. And so at the end of the day, it comes down not to my good works, but it comes down to his good work on the cross when he died for me. And when I was 11 years old, I trusted Jesus to forgive me and to save me. On that day, the Bible says I became a child of God. So with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask this simple question. Do you know for sure when you die, you go to heaven. Think about that for just a moment. If you cannot answer yes, I'd sure like to pray for you. Anyone in this group that say, Pastor, I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know. 
would you pray for me? Anyone? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know. Anybody? Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the sweet fellowship we've had already. And I thank you, Lord, that you're a God that is concerned about our cares and worries. And I pray, Lord, that we'll learn to cast all of our cares upon you so that we can open our eyes to the needs of others around us. Bless the remainder of this day. We'll thank you for it, for we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.